0: Welcome to the Words That Minister Grace podcast. In this podcast, we read excerpts from books that the host finds edifying. Expect to hear from authors such as Matthew Henry, John Calvin, and J.C. Ryle. We take our name from Ephesians 4.29, where Paul exhorts us that our speech should build up each other, or as the King James says, Minister Grace. I am your host, the fake King Hesse. In this episode... We continue our reading on Calvin Institute's Book 2, Chapter 8. We'll be reading Section 28-34, through 34, reading Calvin's discussion on the Fourth Commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. 28. The purport of the commandment is that being dead to our own affections and works, we mediate on the kingdom of God and in order to such mediation have recourse to the means which he has appointed. But as this commandment stands in peculiar circumstances apart from the others, the mode of exposition must be somewhat different. Early Christian writers are wont to call it typical, as containing the external observances of a day which was abolished with the other types on the advent of Christ. This is indeed true, but it leaves the half of the matter untouched. Wherefore, we must look deeper for our exposition, and attend to three cases in which it appears to me that the observance of this commandment consists. First, under the rest of the seven days, the divine lawgiver meant to furnish the people of Israel with a type of the spiritual rest by which believers were to cease from their own works, and allow God to work in them. Secondly, he meant that there should be a stated day on which they should assemble to hear the law and perform religious rites, or which, at least they should specially employ in meditating on his works, and be thereby trained to piety. Thirdly, he meant that servants, and those who lived under the authority of others, should be indulged with a day of rest, and thus have some intermission from labor. 29. We are taught in many passages that this foreshadowing of spiritual rest held a primary place in the Sabbath. Indeed, there is no commandment the observation of which the Almighty more strictly enforces. When he would intimate by the prophets that religion was entirely subverted, he complains that his Sabbaths were polluted, violated, not kept, not hallowed, as if, after it was neglected, there remained nothing in which he could be honored. The observation of it he eulogizes in the highest terms, and hence, among the other divine privileges, the faithful set an extraordinary value on the revelation of the Sabbath. In Nehemiah, the Levites, in the public assembly, thus speak, Thou madest known unto them thy holy Sabbath, and commandest them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses thy servant. You see the singular honor which it holds among all the precepts of the law. All this tends to celebrate the dignity of the mystery, which is most admirably expressed by Moses and Ezekiel. Thus in Exodus, Verily my Sabbath shall ye keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that ye may know that I am the Lord that does sanctify you. You shall keep my Sabbath therefore, for it is holy unto you. Every one that defileth it shall surely be put to death, for whosoever does any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever does any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath throughout their generation, for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. Exodus thirty one thirteen through seventeen. Ezekiel is still more full, but the sum of what he says amounts to this that the Sabbath is a sign by which Israel might know that God is their sanctifier. If our sanctification consists in the mortification of our own will, the analogy between the external sign and the thing signified is most appropriate. We must rest entirely in order that God may work in us. We must resign our own will, yield up our heart, and abandon all the lust of the flesh. In short, we must desist from all the acts of our own mind, that God working in us, we may rest in him. As the apostle also teaches, Hebrews 3.13, 3, 30. This complete secession was represented to the Jews by the observance of one day in seven, which, that it might be more religiously attended to, the Lord recommended by his own example. For it is no small incitement to the zeal of man. To know that he is engaged in imitating his Creator. Should any one expect some secret meaning in the number seven, this being in Scripture the number for perfection, it may have been selected not without cause to denote perpetuity. In accordance with this, Moses concludes his description of the succession of day and night on the same day on which he relates that the Lord rested from his works. Another probable reason for the number may be. The Lord intended that the Sabbath never should be completed before the arrival of the last day. We here begin our blessed rest in him, and daily make new progress in it. But because we must still wage an incessant warfare with the flesh, it shall not be consummated until the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. From one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. Isaiah 66:23. In other words, when God shall be all in all. 1 Corinthians 15.28 It may seem, therefore, that by the seventh day, the Lord delineated to his people the future perfection of his Sabbath on the last day, that by continual meditation on the Sabbath, they might throughout their whole lives aspire to this perfection. 31. Should these remarks on the number seem to any somewhat far-fetched, I have no objection to their taking it more simply, That the Lord appointed a certain day on which his people might be trained, under the tutelage of the law, to mediate constantly on the spiritual rest, and fixed upon the seventh, either because he foresaw it would be sufficient, or in order that his own example might operate as a stronger stimulus, or at least to remind men that the Sabbath was appointed for no other purpose than to render them comfortable to their Creator." It is of little consequence which of these be adopted, provided we lose not sight of the principal thing delineated, viz., the mystery of perpetually resting from our works. To the contemplation of this, the Jews were every now and then called by the prophets, lest they should think a carnal cessation from labor sufficient. Besides the passages already quoted, there is the following, If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, And call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then thou shalt delight thyself in the Lord. Isaiah 58, 13, 14. Still there can be no doubt that, on the advent of our Lord Jesus Christ, the ceremonial part of the commandment was abolished. He is the truth, at whose presence all the emblems vanish the body, at the sight of which the shadows disappear. He, I say, is the true completion of the Sabbath. We are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Romans 6, 4. Hence, as the apostle elsewhere says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of an holiday, or of the new moon, are of the sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ, Colossians 2, 16, 17, meaning by body the whole essence of the truth, as is well explained in that passage. This is not contented with one day, but requires the whole course of our lives, until being completely dead to ourselves, we are filled with the life of God. Christians, therefore, should have nothing to do with superstitious observance of days. 32. The two other cases ought not to be classed with ancient shadows, but are adapted to every age. The Sabbath being abrogated, there is still room among us, first to assemble on stated days for the hearing of the word, the breaking of the mystical bread, and public prayer, and secondly to give our servants and laborers relaxation from labor. It cannot be doubted that the Lord provided for both in the commandment of the Sabbath. The former is abundantly evinced by the mere practice of the Jews. The latter Moses has expressed in Deuteronomy in the following terms The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, that thy manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. Deuteronomy fifteen fourteen. Likewise in Exodus that thine ox and thine ass may rest, and the son of thy handmaid and the stranger may be refreshed. Exodus twenty-three twelve. Who can deny that both are equally applicable to us as to the Jews? Religious meetings are enjoined us by the word of God. The necessity experience itself sufficiently demonstrates. But unless these meetings are stated and have fixed days allotted to them, how can they be held? We must, as the apostle expresses it, Do all things decently and in order. 1 Corinthians 14.40 So impossible, however, would it be to preserve decency and order without this political arrangement, that the dissolution of it would instantly lead to the disturbance and ruin of the church. But if the reason for which the Lord appointed a Sabbath to the Jews is equally applicable to us, no man can assert that it is a matter with which we have nothing to do. Our most provident and indulgent parent has been pleased to provide for our wants not less than for the wants of the Jews. Why, it may be asked, do we hold daily meetings and thus avoid the distinction of days? Would that we were privileged to do so. Spiritual wisdom undoubtedly deserves to have some portion of every day devoted to it. But if, owing to the weakness of many, daily meetings cannot be held, and charity will not allow us to exact more of them, Why should we not adopt the rule which the will of God has obviously imposed upon us? Who can deny that both are equally applicable to us as to the Jews? 33. I am obliged to dwell a little longer on this, because some restless spirits are now making an outcry about the observance of the Lord's day. They complain that Christian people are trained in Judaism, because some observance of days is retained. My reply is... That those days are observed by us without Judaism, because in this matter we differ widely from the Jews. We do not celebrate it with most minute formality as a ceremony by which we imagine that a spiritual mystery is typified, but we adopt it as a necessary remedy for preserving order in the church. Paul informs us that Christians are not to be judged in respect of its observance, because it is a shadow of something to come. Colossians two sixteen. And accordingly, he expresses a fear lest his labor among the Galatians should prove in vain, because they still observe days. Galatians 4.10.11 And he tells the Romans that it is superstitious to make one day differ from another. Romans 14.5 But who, except those restless men, does not see what the observance is to which the apostle refers. Those persons have no regard to that political and ecclesiastical arrangement, but by retaining the days as types of spiritual things, they in so far obscured the glory of Christ and the light of the Gospel. They did not desist from manual labor on the ground of its interfering with sacred study and meditation, but as a kind of religious observance, because they dreamed that by their cessation from labor they were cultivating the mysteries which had of old been committed to them. It was, I say, against this preposterous observance of days that the Apostle inveighs and not against that legitimate selection which is subservient to the peace of Christian society. For in the churches established by him, this was the use for which the Sabbath was retained. He tells the Corinthians to set the first day apart for collecting contributions for the relief of their brethren at Jerusalem. 1 Corinthians 16.2 If superstition is dreaded, there is more danger in keeping the Jewish Sabbath than the Lord's Day, as Christians now do. It being expedient to overthrow superstition, The Jewish holy day was abolished, and as a thing necessary to retain decency, orders, and peace in the church, another day was appointed for that purpose. 34. It was not, however, without a reason that the early Christians substituted what we call the Lord's Day for the Sabbath. The resurrection of our Lord being the end and accomplishment of that true rest which the ancient Sabbath typified, This day, by which types were abolished, serves to warn Christians against adhering to a shadowy ceremony. I do not cling so to the number seven as to bring the church under bondage to it, nor do I condemn churches for holding their meetings on other solemn days, provided they guard against superstition. This they will do if they employ those days merely for the observance of discipline and regular order. The whole may be thus summed up. As the truth was delivered typically to the Jews, So it is imparted to us without figures. First, that during our whole lives we may aim at a constant rest from our own works, in order that the Lord may work in us by his Spirit. Secondly, that every individual, as he has opportunity, may diligently exercise himself in private and pious meditation on the works of God. And, at the same time, that all may observe the legitimate order appointed by the Church, for the hearing of the Word, the administration of the sacraments, and public prayer and thirdly, that we may avoid oppressing those who are subject to us. In this way, we get quit of the trifling of the false prophets, who in later times instilled Jewish ideas into the people, alleging that nothing was abrogated but what was ceremonial in the commandment. This they term in their language the taxation of the seventh day, while the moral part remains, viz., the observance of one day in seven. But this is nothing else than to insult the Jews by changing the day, and yet mentally attributing to it the same sanctity, thus retaining the same typical distinction of days as had place among the Jews. And of a truth we see what profits they have made by such a doctrine. Those who cling to their constitutions go thrice as far as the Jews in the gross and carnal superstition of Sabbatism, so that the rebukes which we read in Isaiah, Isaiah one thirteen fifty eight thirteen, apply as much to those of the present day as to those to whom the prophet addressed them. We must be careful, however, to observe the general doctrine, viz, that in order that religion may neither be lost nor languish among us, we must diligently attend on our religious assemblies, and duly avail ourselves of those external aids which tend to promote the worship of God. Thanks for listening. In the show notes you can find contact information and a link to the text from today. Remember to heed Paul when he says in Ephesians 4.29 to Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers.